I'm Renee Ritchie, and I'm a tech analyst. I'm Georgia Dow, and I'm a psychotherapist. And welcome to Apple Talk, where psychology meets technology. And we deal with the intersection of them both. Yeah, like sort of like Microsoft and Apple and... Facebook. Google, how they affect our lives and our culture, increasingly. All right, so Georgia, what's our first topic today? Um, so the first topic, I don't, I, I'm going to assume it's the Apple topic. Yes. Is it the Apple topic? I don't know. You're, you're the boss. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, so we're going to talk about something completely different. Sure, no, fire away. No, no. Okay, so um, there is a new law coming out Ooh, in bum, France. Bum, bum. Oh, okay. Um, which, Phew. No, no, no. This is good. Well, okay, I'm going to say this is good. Okay. Where you now have to rate the repairability of the, wait, I have, I have how many devices. What do you mean devices? by you? Like me personally? The companies that okay. put out tech in the area of smartphones, laptops, mowers, I know. Vacuum cleaners okay. and washing machines. Now, why they chose these five, I don't know. Well, I would say they're the ones that often have the most complaints because, like, mowers are locked down as much as phones now because people want proprietary repair technology. But I would have put printers on that list. Like, if printers had been on there, I'd say, oh, you're just picking the biggest jerks in the industry. But to let printers go unscathed well, by this? Plus, farming machines, like, machinery yeah. that's very expensive is not in well, this. Well, all the list. John Deere controversy. Exactly. Yeah. And that's oh, you're outside right. yeah. of this. Wow. And so I'm like, they're, they're, they've done mm. some really nasty things. Now, this yeah. is just the beginning point. They are probably going to expand this, but... They, you, the French, are going to expand this. The government of yeah. France, yes. Which and the will EU affect too, right? everything, because that means that you can actually go to the website. So you have to rate how repairable your own items are. So you get to choose the companies, say Apple, Samsung, you know, Google, gets to choose their own rateability rating. So is this like... The, so, for example, for water, uh, for water resistance, there is a rating that is universal that anyone can apply, but the higher ratings are, are, sel are all self-rated. Like, you say it's going to be six meters for 30 feet, and you just have to provide tests. Like, you're the one making the claim, but you have to provide tests that back it up. Right. This sounds like that for both right. good and evil. And that works really well with car emissions. We found really good answers from car emissions. No. No. Um, <laughs> oh, God. I thought you, you were kidding for a second. Because I was like, they're horrible. I was like, what is happening? I love that you went with it. You're so sweet. You're like, yeah. And you're like, oh my well, God, Well, no, because Georgia. in my head, I'm like, because I trust Georgia. But wait a minute. There was that huge controversy about yeah. them lying about emissions. Yes. What is happening here? Yes. And so that self-assessment, which even to us as humans is highly unreliable. But this is your rateability is going to probably change the amount of people that are buying phones. Now, France is doing this for... A waste. They want to lower, they say about 40% of technology devices are recycled right now. And they okay. want to move that to 60%. And they think by making them repairable or promoting repairability, promoting repairability they'll last longer, be thrown away less? People may purchase oh, devices gotcha. and you may choose to make your devices more repairable so you get a better rating okay. because of that. Um, so it's kind of like trickle down um, but there's no like law, like there are emission laws that you have to meet, but there, yes. there's no laws for There will yet. be fines okay. depending on if you have um, shown that your phone is more repairable than it is. Okay. And it goes under five different sets of criteria. Do okay. you want me to go through the criteria? Sure. Okay. The availability. So there's two of them that make it really easy to kind of cheat, to increase your, your rating your, your without score, yeah. really doing anything. Oh, can you purchase re repairability credits like you can, like environmental credits? Well, you're credits? giving yourself these credits. So yes, you definitely can, but you don't even have to purchase them. Okay. You just have to, one, available, more available documentation for repair, for how to use it. Um, so that's one of them that makes it just really easy. The okay. next one is software updates. So if it is easier to update your software. So those two are kind of, 
you don't have to actually make your phone more repairable to increase the rating on well, this Well, but like Apple famously doesn't provide documentation repair manuals, yeah. but Apple also provides usually like five years of updates where I think only Google and Samsung are committed to even three years of updates on the Android side. So right. it, I think will, that is a little bit of something. peer it's pressure. Something. A little bit of peer pressure, yeah. and I think it will make a difference. And then let's go through the three that I think really do make a huge okay. difference in this, which is disassembly, the ease of which it is done, the ease of which you can access parts, the tools required, and the way that parts are fixed in the devices. Like pentalobe screwdrivers. Yes, like, like making screws for your devices that no one can use with a regular screwdriver. Screws that don't screw you. That's what you mean. I mean, like you hate being screwed by the screws. That's that's the whole point. You want like Phillips or Robinson, or I don't know what the flathead one is called. It's probably got a name, and I'm forgetting it. And now that author is going down in ignominy. Pentalobe off. Pentalobe, yeah. yeah. Um, Mr. Okay. Pentalobe was very <laughs> adamant about his screws. Um, the availability of spare parts and delivery okay. time, and. Um, the price of spare parts, so the cost of that. And so okay. those are the five criteria that they're made. But you're doing this yourself. Now, and there won't be any fines yet okay. until a year. So you have a kind of a year to roll this out and go out yeah. and say, you know, actually mine are, you know, seven on seven or, or whatever rating okay. system that they have. Uh, what are your thoughts, Renee? I like it. So I so I, I don't know enough about it to say whether it's gonna go far enough. And I think we'll need like a year or two of data to actually see like to have an independent analysis to show how reliable these scores are and also if they're motivating or not. Like I remember reading in the initial coverage that Samsung had released a repair manual which they'd never done before because they wanted to increase their score. And to me, that's a good positive effect. Like if Apple notoriously doesn't, so if they're encouraged to release these manuals, that to me would be a positive effect. Uh, like you, I'm always worried about self-ratings. Yeah. But also, um, if like nobody in the industry does it, that creates almost like cover for nobody to do it. Of course. Yeah. Why would you do this? Like it doesn't it doesn't benefit any of these companies to do this unless your phone is exceptionally repairable and then maybe you would go out. Now iFixit also has a rating system. Yes. And I was I was actually pretty impressed with the uh, the score in France. Like Apple rates now like a six on all yeah. of their twelve devices. And then I went, okay, but this is like, do they really? rate of six. And so I went to iFixit and yes, all of the 12s, even for iFixit, which is, it's a 10 point scale on iFixit. So it's like yeah. not perfect, but it's pretty good when they usually score around a four. Or like something were ones or zeros, well, I think. Well, some of them was like everything was glued together yeah. and then they like poured epoxy to, no, yeah. they didn't actually pour epoxy, but it's almost like they, that. They basically put it in amber so that a future generation exactly. could harvest DNA in Jurassic exactly. Park up a new phone. Exactly. Um, and so they, they score the same thing. Okay. So I was like, okay, not too bad. They did a pretty good job on their own, you know, the way that the rating systems go. Yeah. So far. And I like having, because the knock on iFixit, like some people love iFixit and some people feel like they do this because they want to, they want to monetize repairability. Like it's not an altruistic thing, but they want to make money. Like they, they, so they don't so much care about pentalobe screws as they want to make you a lot of money selling you a high priced pentalobe screwdriver. And whether you agree or disagree with that, I think having multiple sources for this kind of information is important because some people are relentlessly skeptical. Like relentlessly skeptical, but if you can find similar ratings across like Europe and the US, iFixit and whatever, all of that I think will give consumers a better consensus view. Yeah, just like if you were doing research, you can't just have yes. the research come from one single source. Yes. And if it's not replicable, 
then probably it's not reliable either. And it can't be the company that makes it. And as much as I love iFixit and a couple of the other companies, it can't be the ones that sell you the part. Like there's gotta be some sort, at least I would like there to be some sort of independent umbrella that I could use to gauge all of them. Yes, yeah. I think that there should be governments that yes. actually take a look, just like they go through something like a Consumer Reports, which we've now found out that that may not be as reliable as we well, think. Well, they had budget cuts. Well, no, but that's the whole thing. Like I, I once got into a mini argument with a repair person uh, over data privacy because I believe that this stuff should be regulated. Like not just regulate that everyone has a right to repair, but that everyone has a responsibility to repair. And the argument I got was when you go to the doctor's office, they tell you to take off your underwear, like you're getting a service out of it. And I'm like, okay, a doctor had to go through medical school and internship, is licensed by the state, is has, has like malpractice insurance, if you like, if you're wanting me to trust you with my text messages and photos, you having to be registered and bonded, that is what'll get me to trust you, not the fact that you just tell me I should. Yes, exactly, exactly. Or send out a cute little photo or yeah. you know video saying how great it would be to give up all your privacy to me. And that's not me Doesn't being really overreactive. Like there are case after case of like people at Best Buy and cell carriers repairing your device, but also taking all your like your, all your news to, to yeah. be like <laughs> honest about it. Yeah. Like you can find a ton of articles on that. Um, and I think that y if you're gonna regulate that this stuff needs to be repairable, you've got to regulate the consumer protections in on top of it. Yes, there has to be a consequence yes. that is like really viable. A small little slap on the wrist is probably not gonna change anything. Yeah, and only in two areas. Like I'm not concerned about um, like screen swapping. I think there are things that, are, not that they're trivial, I can't do them, but that don't have very high consequences like swapping a display. But if you give me a bad battery, that's a fire hazard. And if, and if you go into my data system, that's a privacy hazard. So I, I think the higher the danger or risk to me, the more, the more regulation is required. The lower those two things, Sell me a cheap screen, that's fine. So what are the negatives to um, France going through with these, like what would be the opposite side of the argument? Is this a bad thing? In general, there's like a couple. One is that the EU and the US are often not on the same page because the US has very, like um, freedom of speech and uh, the, the articles that protect online social networks, they don't exist in the EU. The EU wants to regulate speech. So there can be a huge disconnect in those. I don't believe, I'd have to ask like someone like Devin Stone Esquire, uh, our legal legal friend for sure, but I, I don't know if there's any disparity in laws. And these things have to be, we live in an international world, but the laws are often still very haphazard. Right. Um, and companies like Apple, they, they are international. And like GDPR, we, we saw cookie policies in the EU that just made people stop providing them with websites. And so I worry about not people, like, people not getting a service or not getting the benefit of a product if we don't have vaguely harmonious international laws. I think that's one of them. The other is I think there have to be, maybe not have to be is a strong word, we have mutual friends who are really well respected in the industry who I would say I have slight disagreements with in terms of scale, but they believe that it's a consumer benefit not to have to worry about repairability because a vast majority of people, like you no longer have to be a mechanic to drive a car. You no longer have to drive to, to use stick shift to drive a car. And that makes car technology accessible to more people. And so the, the line of thought there is, is this stuff cheaper? Is this stuff basically cheaper to own and operate by them not having to worry about making every part of it modular? And does that only favor a very loud, vocal, technically sophisticated audience who tends to not want to share fire with the great, like with the greater part of humanity? You see, my only counter argument to that is that 
that's fine for the areas of having cheap technology, having accessible technology. But a pentalobe screw does not help anyone. They are only doing it yeah. to make sure that no one can get in. Most of the time, gluing everything down with, you know, a super sticky glue that you have to heat to 120 degrees to get off. I'm making up numbers here. Um, <laughs> Is that and, Kelvin? <laughs> um, that... That is not going to be able to help me. You could glue it with something that is not that sticky. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes, like there's some cases where they've done this just so that you have to buy a new set of technology. And that's why they don't share documentation and make sure that, you know, they make this as, you know, a locked lead box as possible. So I would push back on that only softly to say that I don't think it's the evil intent of wanting to force you to buy a new product. I think it's the evil intent of wanting to keep you out of the product. And that goes back to Steve Jobs and that famous argument he had with Steve Wozniak. Because the Apple II, all those Apple series, were amazingly accessible computing devices. And then Steve wanted the iMac to be a locked box. No, the original Mac to be a little locked beige box. And Wozniak hated that idea. But Steve said that if people get into it, they're just going to screw it up. And if they have a problem, they should bring it to us to fix. Where Which I think, makes them a lot of money. But, but I, think, I think they, I, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Just, why? Just, well, because I'll explain to you why I think it, <laughs> okay. why I think it has a worse repercussion. Okay. Like, let's assume it's true just for the sake of argument that they really want to make sure that we don't, like, we don't, like you don't just open it up on a lark and break your own thing. My problem is, even if that is true, the more... Anything you take away from me, you have taken on yourself, and then you have an absolute obligation to make sure I never have a problem. And if that is the case, they have failed miserably in terms of taking on the complete and utter responsibility for cheap, accessible, and, and available uh, repairs on, by them. It's just not available enough. Right. But doesn't that go to the point that that's not really what they were trying to do? Doesn't that prove that they weren't hoping to make a device that is so perfect in its execution that no one would ever have to repair it because they have not spent that much time and effort to ensure that everything will work and last for an infinite amount of time? I think that that goes to the point that, you know, those pentalobe screws were not, you know, to keep us out, to keep us safe because daddy wants to make sure that we're safe and protected. More like daddy wants to make sure that we have to buy, you know, Apple Care go to them, buy a new device because we're just too frustrated, slowing down things just so that we can deal with it. And so again, that... profit is probably like most of the time with a company, the reason that they do something is probably going to be profit. So I agree with that to a point. The only part where I think it breaks down is the same thing I said before is I don't even think they're good at that. Like to me... Mm, Apple's to, doing okay. Well, I mean, they're doing okay, but I think they're doing okay in spite of that. Like to me, well, there, is a, there is a school of thought that um, they don't want you, like, they don't just want you to buy an iPhone. They want you to, your next five phones to be an iPhone. Yeah. And they have to make sure you have a good experience. And if you get too frustrated, you're going to just get angry and switch to Samsung. And that's a net loss for them. So they have, they have a, a certain amount of, imp, of um, motivation to make sure we have a good experience. But even if you do take the argument that they're doing this to lock us out and force us to upgrade and do all these things, they're not even good at that because this, the services are not available enough. Like if I, if I think, if the thing breaks, the parts are not available enough for me to go and spend a fortune to get them. Yeah. It takes too long and they're not often available enough and they just, it's not well executed either way and that's my problem. I would just say that they want you to buy something new, be frustrated enough to just buy another one of 
their devices. And I don't most think that of the works. time that no, actually, once you are comfortable in an ecosystem, there is there is an infinite amount of effort to be able to switch over everything that you do. So I think that in most cases, like I would say, how many people that have been um, an Android user for, you know, seven plus years will st- switch to iPhone? It's a big jump. And there's probably really strong, serious reasons that you would do that. And so I still think that they end up winning. But again, money. Like, I think it always, almost always is yeah. going to come down to that. Not they're, they're trying to keep us safe and they want us, to, they do want us to have a good experience. Um, well, I but think, buy more stuff. I think there's like, I'm, I'm usually a big believer in don't ascribe to malice what you can ascribe to incompetence. Yeah. And I usually believe that corporations, the, the bigger the corporation, the greatest, the, the greater the incompetence looks like malice. Mm. But there's like, there's also competing considerations. For example, the MacBooks have steadily become less and less modular. Like the old MacBooks, you could t- open them up, change the battery, pull out the RAM, change the hard disk. But at the same time, based at least on the numbers I've seen, those things would come apart on their own quite often and cause problems like the RAM would unseat or the hard drive connection would be bad or the battery were limited in size because they had to still be modular after you to take it out. And now they can literally put like a frosting thing inside and, and squirt battery in because it doesn't have to be discreetly modular. And they, they, the RAM is part of the board so that RAM never has a connection issue. And that was apparently one of the greatest causes of, of problems of, of repair uh, issues with MacBooks. And those, because they're carried around, they're dropped, they're, they're different than desktop computers. So I think there's also like different, different priorities and different tensions involved in it. And I think it's fine as long as we have options. Like if I can go in and say, you know, I travel a lot, I'm really not savvy, uh, I just want something that'll work. I just want like, I want an appliance. You know, I don't, want a, I don't want a mechanism, I want an appliance. I should be able to buy that. But if I'm like, I am incredibly computer savvy, I want to buy one thing that I can upgrade myself for 10 years, I should absolutely be able to buy that too. I think we should be able to get what we want. I, I think that we could even get something that can do both. I don't think that there's the choice of like something that really works well and you're not going to have to do anything with it, but that if you wish to, you could make it better could also be an option. But again, I just think that it'll, I don't think that companies would really enjoy that because then we won't be buying as many devices and they track it. That is something that they want to say how many people have bought, how many people have upgraded. Um, And so the push to be able to do that because that's part of the algorithms that they rate the company at is stronger. Yeah, I just think that like we have, like as a consumer, I think we have this, this, um, what's the right word for it? We want to have it all. We want to have our cake and eat it too. But every part of design is compromise and concession. And you you can't like, if you, if the battery is swappable, you have to have a door on the back that comes off. And then that door is like a little squeaky. And do you hate that? Like, or do you like that? If Is it thicker? Like, do you hate the fact that it's thicker? Do you not care that it's thicker? Like all of these things affect the final product. So it, it's not like you can have the exact same product and have these things as well. You're going to have to give up a few, and maybe it's totally worth it to you. You're going to have to give up, your, the product is going to have to change to, to be the other thing. And maybe some people will hate it, some people will like it, but it won't be the same. Fair. Well, what do you guys think? Are you on team team right to repair or team left to repair? Is that the right words? I don't use that right context. I think wrong to repair. Why is English so hard? <laughs> I don't know. Right to repair, left to repair, long, wrong to repair. I don't even know which side I'm on now.
right to disrepair. There we go. So Twitter announced something that oh, yes, I was that. I was originally confused by, <laughs> uh, and I pinged the author of the article on Twitter because I think the headline was confusing, where it said Twitter was going to give you the ability, it was going to institute like pay per tweet. And I saw a lot of people reacting negatively to it because they literally thought that you'd be able to say you could only read this tweet for a dollar, which right. is not at all, like I'd buy that for a dollar, typical Robocop reference. And that's not at all what it is. It's not like Georgia can say, have a good morning, you must pay a dollar to read this tweet. Right, right. What they're doing is not like pay per tweet at all, but at least based on my reading, and I'm curious if you're at the same way, is they're going like full on Patreon and a little bit Facebook competitive by giving by giving creators an ability to create bonus extra content for essentially for members, they're calling it super followers, um, and also groups, which is what a lot, which is maybe the only thing keeping some people on Facebook now. I, it's a very, I think that it's a, I think I, I feel mixed about this. Okay. So yes, tell I, me like, why. To ha so you end up with this, you can become a super follower of someone that you want for a certain amount of money. And with that money, you get bonus access to things that other people don't. But again, so which I, I think is great because I think that this will really help creators be able to create more. It's, it's very time consuming and it costs money and so everyone that supports it makes a huge difference. And so I love that. And I think that Twitter has not really found a great way to monetize, to be able to support, and the more options, the better. But then we end up with the haves and the have-nots, the people that have access to certain information, and then the other information, you, if you want more, it's behind this locked door. And I think it's a fair thing, but it does create a little bit of an uneasiness with a second me. second-class social citizen? Yes, where, you know, how, how much, like how much of your income are you gonna be able to put towards the people that you care about for how long? And I think that information is power. I think that people need to be supported. Let's say that people that are, you know, in the news media or journalists are not making a great living at that. It's becoming increasingly difficult. So I'm torn. Yeah. I'm kind of torn on that. It's interesting to me because I saw a visceral reaction on Twitter. And again, I think some of it was because the headlines were... Um, incorrect. I mean, I'll, as far as I say incorrect, because it is not paper tweet. But I saw like some people, like mutual friend Viper, was like, "You don't have to monetize everything. Why are you monetizing everything?" Uh, and we had a great discussion about it because he has membership on his YouTube channel, and that is a very similar thing. Where if you, uh, we don't, we uh, we haven't done memberships yet on any of our channels, but you can go in and say. I'm starting memberships, and if you pay $2 or $5 or $10, you get access to like member-only chats or member-only videos, member-only groups, uh, sorry, posts, all these sorts of things, special icons. Um, some people do members-only live streams. And it does, it provides extra benefit to your most engaged uh, audience. People. Yeah. Uh, Patreon is a totally separate thing. I have a Patreon, you have a Patreon. And... Basically, there's no like free content. Like, I, I'm sure you could post free content. I guess there's nothing stopping you. But almost everything on Patreon is for your Patreon people. So there's no, there's no second. Like, you're either a Patreon or you're not. Right. So it doesn't right. have the same dichotomy. Though they could be watching you, and not be a Patreon subscriber yes. or there. So there's still that second. But it's on tier. a separate website. It's on a separate website. It's a separate thing, and it's. You, you know, you can choose to want to support someone, and you can choose not to support someone. So, yeah, I think that it is, 
I think it's a net positive though. Like I think that like it gives people options and it creates a little bit of, um, and I, who knows, like, and I wanted to ask you about this, Renee. So like, say that, like, you know, if we're running this through, you know, an Apple site, do they, then they're paying $5 through Twitter and they're using it on an Apple phone. Are they going to then have to like, where does all of the money get split between Twitter and Apple? Oh, you mean like and, uh, if the transaction is being processed yes, by Apple, do they take their, their 30 their or 15% off of your $4 and then yeah, I don't know. I don't Twitter's going to take, you I know, know a lot of people use Patreon instead of YouTube because YouTube takes a much bigger cut. Hmm. I forget what YouTube is. I think YouTube is 30%. Um, they take an even bigger cut of AdSense than they do of this but uh, also like there are people who ha who's like i'm lucky in a sense that my audience is primarily on youtube now it wasn't like that before but i now have more youtube subscribers than i have twitter followers by almost a factor of 10 i have like a hundred thousand twitter followers and like two hundred thousand youtube followers you i think still have way more twitter followers than you have youtube followers yeah and there are members of the media who don't have youtube channels at all right um and they have had no real method of monetizing like especially now that so many of them are laid off and they're they can still tweet their their hot everything from their yes. hot takes to their research right and twitter also bought a newsletter company at the same time to uh, compete against substack and i believe the newsletter is being put into this members thing so I try not to just think of myself, but I think like if I didn't have my YouTube channel, if I had been with Mobile Nation, like I'm more Mobile Nation still, and I'd been laid off over over the holidays, would this be like the difference between me paying rent or not, or right. feeding my family or not? And maybe. So part of me is like, oh, please don't monetize everything. But then the other part of me is like, that's real privilege talking because there are people who don't have the option at all right now to monetize yes. their work. Yes, and I think that if this keeps people in business and it's your choice, you're not forced to be able to do it, where is the harm? It, it really isn't it, its execution. Is it gonna be well executed? Or is it gonna be executed in a way that makes people feel upset? Because the psychology to it is when one person gets access to something, it feels really special. And to those that don't, it can be a really difficult experience of, I don't know this, I can't do it, I feel pressured to be able to, you know, follow these people. And for some people, they may choose not to eat and be able to follow someone that they really care about. Well, like, you'll be like, Renee, how come you're not super fanning me? I mean, what do you mean talking about, George? You didn't super tweet me. What do you mean? Like, yeah, yeah, you're only getting my regular tweets. <laughs> but I feel, um, there's, Ben Thompson has been discussing this a lot lately because this is whole, his whole model is you, uh, you pay, uh, and Neil Seibert does this too for Stratechery for Above Avalon. Jason Snell does this for Six Colors, although Jason, I think, provides a lot more free information. But basically, you get one article a week on those sites, and if you want their daily newsletter, then you have to become a member, and it's like $10 a month or $100 a year. And I think this is all based on that 1,000 true fans uh, yeah. philosophy where... Yeah. If you can get a thousand true fans to each pay you a hundred dollars a year, that's a hundred thousand dollars a year. You know, and then you can create anything. You can create videos. You can yeah. create newsletters. You can create podcasts. But it's enough to basically fund you as a creator. Yeah. Uh, without having to worry about sponsors and whereas all those if it's other just things. a little tiny amount, then you need a lot of people. But you also you don't have the same amount of leeway in what you choose to do, and you're going to really care about the numbers much more. And so it all depends on the way in which you want to continue being able to create content. And how does that fan, because I'm curious about this, how does that fan attachment work? Because you see some people, like I go to some uh, 
some of these and you see the same people are members of a huge amount of sites, but other people are very dedicated. Does it create like a tribal sense in us? It when does. We... Not only does it create a tribal sense that you're supporting someone, you become an important part of their ecosystem. And so it's a way of being able to give back to people that you care about and that you enjoy their content. But it also creates this interesting interrelationship between the parasocial pre yes where <laughs> you know like a lot of people will be like oh this is a person that really has supported me the entire time i will make sure to give a little bit more time and attention because it matters what they th they followed me through the entire time and so they really know my progression and so versus someone that you know might not have or we don't really be able to recognize that and so it creates a tribe, but it also creates a feeling of obligation in between both, which can be a positive and can be a negative. And some people were also talking about the uncertainty around churn, because like if you're uh, a fan site, for example, like, I don't know, you just, you love the Golden Girls TV show. I have no idea why I picked the Golden Girls, but you love the Golden Girls and you're doing content around the Golden Girls. Other people who love that will find you and it'll be like a long-term relationship. But if you're doing more how-to based things, like if you're doing how to make bread, you know, someone might be interested in making bread for a while, but right. then they've learned it or they decided they want to try to make something else. So there will always be some people interested in bread, but the, the specific people will change a lot. Right. And so right. that's like wide audience, wide, consistent audience versus very wide, but inconsistent. Like there's a whole bunch of dynamics to it. Right. Right. And it becomes this, you know, you have to kind of see what's comfortable in the end, make content that you enjoy and then hopefully people will show up. So was it a hard choice for you to do Patreon because it's very new for you? It was really new for me to do Patreon. I think that it was kind of scary and weird to like say, send me money. <laughs> I don't know, it felt awkward and horrible, but then I had to kind of go back to, I'm taking time out of my day to create something to be able to help people. And so asking people that can afford to be, like I'm not forcing you to, um, but I'm saying that if, if that's beneficial to you, then, you know, if you feel, you know, that you would like to be able to support so that we can have more of this content, then you will do that. And that felt comfortable, but I had to think about it. How about for you, Renee? Like, was it a difficult thing to choose to start Patreon? Yeah, I mean, Did someone well, pressed, pressure you to do that? Well, before I had like a full-time job and I was already creating content, so I felt like it was, it, it would be weird because, you know, I was already being paid to make it. But then when I quit my job, and it's the same thing for you. Like you don't get monetized on YouTube immediately. You've got to get a uh, thousand subscribers and four thousand hours of watched video in order within twelve months in order to qualify yeah. for the YouTube watch, Partner Program. Watch my videos. You know, put, put them on repeat, um, just to get into the YouTube Partner Program. Right. And that doesn't mean they're going to start paying you. It just means that they'll, they'll, they'll you can start running yeah, ads. We can talk. We can talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't have that. And I didn't know how long it would take to, to get to that. So I and also I didn't want to put everything into YouTube's basket because we've had like the original Adpocalypse, Adpocalypse 2 Electric Boogaloo. And like even now there's a lot of uncertainty. And the area that I'm in tech doesn't have very high uh, CPMs uh, and RPMs. And that's just the amount of money you're paid per thousand impressions. Like if you do things in the financial sector, like, like, I think for tech, it can vary. It varies during the year. Like, it's the worst in January, the best in December. But it's between, like, a dollar and maybe $4, $5, the best of times. Uh, I've seen it, I think, once as high as $7 per, per thousand impressions. And that's what Google makes, not what you make. But then some of the people in finance or business, uh, both because they get 
big big ads, but also because all the get rich quick schemes and pyramid schemes, right. you know, want to buy into those. Right. You know, so it's the good and the bad. But they'll get like twenty dollar, forty dollar, sixty dollar um, CPMs. So I just didn't know and. I'd quit my job. I literally had no income coming in. Right. So I tried to set up as many things as I could, just not knowing what would stick. Right, right. And then at least your eggs are in separate baskets. And I think that for a lot of people that are creators out there, this just gives them the choice of another basket. You yeah. don't have to choose to use it. Um, but you can. And if it's helpful for people to be able to create, if it allows more people to be able to eat, I'm for it. Yeah, and I also like I want. I was losing the mobile nations community in terms of like I used to have like a hundred people I would talk to all day every day, and this I thought could be a new community for me. Yeah, that's true. Um, so what do you what do you think in terms of uh, like you have the Patreon now? Would you do YouTube memberships when you're eligible to it? Would you do Twitter? And the reason I'm asking is because previously, uh, like even big companies would expect everyone to come to them right. where they were comfortable and set up. But increasingly, people want to be met where they already are. And there's probably people who are unwilling to add Patreon to their list of things, but might do it inside YouTube. Or they don't even want to go to YouTube, but they, they're, they're, they're used to you on Twitter and might be willing to do it on Twitter. Yeah. My thought to it is that I, I probably would. Like, I would just try it out. And if people feel comfortable to be able to deal with that, it just, I'm already there anyways. And it allows more people to be able to support if we're supported then I can allocate my time differently because I'm being supported in that that sphere and who am I to say the best way for you to be able to support the people that you care about um, you get the options to be able to do that if you feel comfortable great if you don't want to you don't have to and so I would feel comfortable doing whichever way it might be I don't it doesn't make me really feel bad because I don't feel that anyone's really being pressured no like it's not saying that this person is not part of the tribe just because they're not following or not a super follower um, like the super twins the, uh, the, the wonder, wonder twins. twins yeah activate form of an elephant um, shape of a Bucket? No, I'm know. water. I don't know how it goes anymore. One of them's uh, water, one we, of them's animal. We made some people very delighted and confused a bunch of other people. I'm sorry. Anyway, again, <laughs> let, it, let us know what you think, because I know some people really have uh, subscription fatigue, uh, and they're worried about this stuff, and other people are are seeing that big media companies are increasingly faceless and want to have a more direct contact with our audience. So I'm right. curious, right. what do you all think? Yeah, and if you're going through your own subscription, you don't have to subscribe Subscribe no. here, but you don't have to subscribe everywhere. Um, you know, you don't have to pay money towards everything. Yeah. Don't feel obligated to be able to do that. Um, do it in the way that you feel best. Yeah, for sure. Georgia, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on YouTube. It's just, uh, just type in Georgia Dow. YouTube.com slash Georgia Dow. Thank you. Thank you, Renee. Still do it the other way. <laughs> um, I'm on Twitter at Georgia underscore Dow, and you can send me an email, uh, Georgia at westmounttherapy.com. How about you, Renee? You can find me at ReneeRitchie.net. I have the .net, not the .com. I have both. <laughs> I have both the .com ghost and the .net because .com sounded like commercial and I wanted to be a person. That's cute. So, uh, also, of course you did. I have to maintain that website better. It's horribly out of date. Also, uh, at Renee Ritchie on Twitter and YouTube.com slash Renee Ritchie. So we do have a bonus topic coming up if you're listening on Nebula. If you're not listening on Nebula, the easiest, the best way to do it is just to go to curiositystream.com slash Apple Talk. You can... What is that? I'm totally... I'm not telling you. I totally broke my ad read. Uh, sorry. Continue. All right. Uh, go to appletalk.com 
No, go to Curiosity Stream. See, this is what happens when Georgia is is, <laughs> is machinating. It was the trauma. I'm sorry. It was the it's, trauma from last week. You're like, maybe, what have I done now? Maybe. Anyway, go to curiositystream.com slash AppleTalk. You can sign up. You get all of Curiosity Stream's amazing documentaries and series, and you also get full access to Nebula, which has my videos, these videos, ad-free, with bonus content. Soon, Georgia's videos? My videos. Awesome, awesome. And tons of other creators like Legal Eagle and Tear Zoo and Jordan Harrod and Real Science. Just amazing stuff. CastleStream.com slash Apple Talk. And uh, if you haven't yet, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, scroll to the bottom, leave a review, leave a rating. It helps more people find out about us. And then I can confuse Georgia with more random ad reads in the future. And... I know, I know I want to talk about colored IMAX, but I have a feeling you're going to do something worse in the bonus segment. I will. So if you're leaving us now, pray for me. And if not, what do you got, Georgia?